M&K Takwaye now presents Dark Dawn Part 2 from the Nevernight Chronicles by Jay Kristoff. MNK Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we finished The Nevernight Chronicles by Jay Kristoff. We finished the second half of the third book, which was called Dark Dawn. Oh my goodness. First <sighs> of all, I like how I opened your notes. You always send me the notes that you type up. Oh and, yes. And it just starts with, so this book is basically porn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at my notes too, and yep, that's the first line. <laughs> because it's so true. And I like started feeling weird about it in this second half, I guess, because like there was just so much sex between me and Ash. And like what I didn't like was it started to feel kind of gratuitous. And then I got like, I was just like, oh, and it's written by a male author. And I'm just like, is he just like getting off on like writing about two lesbians having sex? And it just like felt. It felt, like, not great to me. And also, like, they're young. They're, like, teenage girls. Yeah, and I think there is a certain point where I did appreciate that they were trying to, like, capture some moments together while their world was ending because sometimes I feel... I felt like that was accurate for, like, 18, 19-year-olds who are in love, like... Totally. ...while fighting for their lives. But we could have just, like, had them sneak off to a room because we've already witness them having sex so many times yeah and like we've read enough young adult books with characters who are madly in love with each other where like you there are ways to describe or to to imply that characters have sex or you know even go a little bit further but describe it in ways that are like less graphic and more poetic to like you know get that idea across and it just felt like it just felt very like gratuitous at a certain point to me well and honestly I was thinking about it they didn't talk that much in this book not really like for all for all the big things that were going on it felt like they didn't have very many real conversations yeah and so I just like that coupled with like Mia's breasts making an appearance in like every chapter and like him discussing her her, he just discusses her body so much and like I get it that her sexuality is a part of her but it just felt like weird coming from a male author it still blows my mind that he's a co-author for the Illumini Files. <laughs> like, I Agreed. cannot believe these are the same author. And it makes me really curious to, A, read some of his other books to see if he just writes really differently all the time or if this is his style and that was abnormal. or yeah. And, B, to see how Amy Kaufman writes on her own. Because I'm just really, like, it's so interesting to me. Because it was already interesting to think about two authors writing a series together. But then to see how different it is from how he wrote Mm -hmm. Solo, I'm just fascinated. Yeah. I'm fascinated, too. I think he wrote this before the Illuminae Illuminae Files. Like he started it before? I think so. Because this last one just came out. Oh, that's true. Well, anyway, aside from all the sex, what did you think about the second half? I have really mixed feelings about so many things in this book because maybe it's just because this really like wasn't young adult Mm -hmm. and so it's very different from everything we've read by definition of being a completely different type of book anyways but I I think there were things that bothered me in this book more and less than they would have in other books oh so the footnote thing I actually didn't mind as much as I thought I would the pacing I thought was actually really good for the most part like that was things kept point. happening things kept connecting back to each other like I don't know I thought there was some really cool stuff with how things that were laid out in the first book connected in the third book it didn't really feel like they were pulling things completely out of thin air or anything like yeah. that I liked that people were dying the world building was great too yeah but then there was so even saying all that though there was still something about the end that felt really like rushed and confusing mm-hmm. to me but it was like literally only the last 15 pages Oh, interesting. Okay. And I couldn't tell. So I like, uh, I was planning to finish it last night and I read like up until the last 15 pages and I like was actually really excited for the end of the book and like was feeling good about it. And then I finished it this morning and I was like, wait, what? And I couldn't. (laughs) 
So part of it could have been, like, I wasn't fully awake yet or something, but, like, I don't know. I still feel really confused about some of the things at the end, and I was a little bit disappointed because I feel like so much else was explained really well and connected really well and was paced really well, and then it felt just a little bit, like, rushed and confusing for me there. I would have to agree. Should we start where we left off at the first half? Yeah. So we stopped when she was waiting for Cloud at the pirate center of the world? Yes. And, well, they're they're waiting for Cloud to come back, but in the meantime, they get kidnapped by pirates, and we get to meet the Pirate King. Yes, who we've also already described was, like, unnecessarily... Brutal. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I actually really liked this first half of the book, because I loved when Mia and Ash get in trouble for, like, attacking the Pirate King's crew, and they bring them aboard, and they demand that um, trial by combat. Mm -hmm. I really, really liked that, because I researched pirates last week and didn't get to share it, and I was like, ooh, I hope there's, like, some stuff in this second half that will come into play, and it totally did. And I really liked the scene where she... um, basically is like asking about all their rules and she Mm -hmm. learns that if you kill a pirate you get to keep like all their booty essentially yep like everything their title their (laughs) materials their everything yeah and like I love that when she instead of like fighting the man she was matched up against she just like walks through the shadows and stabs the pirate king in the neck and then cuts off his head Literally severs his head with a small knife, which was also unnecessarily brutal a little bit. But right. I, I agree. I appreciated the use of their rules against them. <laughs> She's like, well, now I get the Pirate King's throne and his ship. <laughs> and part of me hated it and part of me loved it that throughout this book, Mia becomes queen of the pirates, like the <laughs> the gladiator, like Champion. I forget what they call Yeah. And the... Blade. head of the red church and like all and a god like all this stuff and I'm kind of like this is so ridiculous but I also I did appreciate some of the humor in the book about like Jay Kristoff kind of calling himself out on some of the stuff that I found annoying yes I like that too. and part of part of me appreciated it and part of me felt weird about it again I like I'm not sure how I feel about the fact and we can talk about this more in a minute but like the book inside the book or that like they the book was uh, a character in its own story. Yeah, I didn't like that. It was just too much, and it was too meta, like you said before, and it was yeah. just too confusing. Like, it didn't need to happen, really. I think what I would say about this book overall is I found it really interesting in a, I think he did a lot of kind of unique things, and he did them well, but they're not for me. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, his sex scenes weren't bad. Like, they weren't badly written, but like... It just felt like he was doing it at a certain point just to, like, throw in another sex scene. Well, yeah. He took the sex, like, a few steps too far for me. He took the violence a few steps too far for me. He took the language a few steps too far for me. And I think the thing I dislike most about it was it's made me, like, less reactive to it. Yes. Like, I don't like that I, like, read some of these scenes and I wasn't like, oh my goodness, this is so gory, or oh my goodness, this is way too much. I was just kind of like, okay, like, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) No, you're totally right, because at a certain point you're just like, like, you shouldn't be immune to the fact that Mia takes her shirt off and has a duel naked from the waist up, hacks off a pirate king's head, steals his shirt, steals his coat, and is just sitting on the throne covered in his blood with her boobs hanging out and I was just like oh yeah that's Mia just another day in the life and steals his coat made out of human faces right right (laughs) made out of human don't forget that part I forgot about that (laughs) but yeah but I thought again there were like some like the book inside the book thing kind of bothered me but I kind of appreciated it for being unique and I think given I didn't love it it was still done sort of well but I saw questions about how it all worked and even with, like, um, the dark and magic, like, I, I like how it came into the story and grew. Like, it felt really normal to me. I think it would have been, like, too much if it had been introduced differently. Or, like, the pacing or something, like, all made sense to me, except at the very end. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure that I loved the darkened piece of it, but I, I don't know. Like, there's just a lot that I think I appreciate from a, like, oh, I see what you did there and you did it well, but I don't necessarily, that's not, like, my kind of book. Yeah, like, I think it's fair to say, like, this book, I you can appreciate all the work that went into making this world, and it's exciting, it's fast-paced, but maybe it's just not the book for you, or me. 
I also, I don't think I would watch a movie or TV show about this, but I think it would be a really, like, I could see this being a really popular movie or TV show. Yeah. Again, though, like, I think it would have to be handled carefully. Well, definitely. It's like such a, it's such a strange balance, too, of, like, you want to give characters room to, like, explore their feelings and be with each other, but, like, you don't want to feel like you're kind of cheapening them by writing about them in a certain way, you know? Well, and that's where, again, they weren't having enough conversations or talking about their feelings enough. I feel like there was more of that in the first two books than this book. Yes, I agree. And, and I totally get, like, she had to memorize Ash's map. Like, knowing her body really well was, was important because she needed to have the map memorized to get to the place she went at the end. But, yeah, I could just see it turning into, like, a, a kind of movie that I wouldn't want to watch. <laughs> I, I totally think it's something I personally would not watch, but I feel like it has all of the elements that would make it very popular. Yeah. But, I mean, even, like, the extreme gore and, like, the constant action and, like, a little bit of magic, I mean, like, it just has a lot going on. And again, I think it was, like, woven together well for the most part, minus what we're talking about, I think, with the sex piece, but... And the violence. I yeah. thought there was a lot of... And it was all taken too far, but it all also, like made sense for such a complicated world and complicated storylines going on. I didn't feel like, until the last few pages, I didn't feel like there was anything that didn't, like, fit in or make sense. Yeah. I agree. Um, I got so confused in the middle, though, when the font changed in, like, book four. And Uh we, like, get through the um, part where Mia, like, comes through the storm or whatever, and then... She reunites with Ash and Neve, and then she kills Spider Killer and Mouser, and she kills Stolas, and then you realize that, like, they're actually just reading the book, and you see, like, Stolas and Mouser and Spider Killer, like, reading about their deaths, and then they are like, oh, okay, well, we know how she's kind of going to come into the Red Church now, so let's go intercept her. Like, that part was, I was, I was confused for a minute. <laughs> so... You noticed the font change when it started to change? hmm And I was like, what? why did it change all of a sudden? <laughs> yeah, I think that would be an interesting... Because I didn't really notice at first. I, like, saw when it changed back, mm-hmm. and then I, like, sort of went back. And I did have questions while we were reading some of that stuff where I was like, I thought they found the books. Yeah. Why are they so conf- surprised? But I... And I was, I was waiting for the book to, like, matter in some way, and I was like, how are they just all dying? I don't get it. But I did not realize when it book four started that it was a different font I think I like finished book three and like went to bed and mm-hmm. you know wrote read book f- so like it d- it wasn't like super obvious to me that the font was different but I did like that um they like go to intercept her and she kind of thwarts them again and like still is able to get into the red church and she kills Mouser for real then <laughs> well and I and I still have questions about all again this is where like the book thing gets weird like so the librarian wrote the third book right it's a fake third book, right? Yes. To throw them off the course. But when did they come up with that as the plan? Because it sounded like he wrote it after they found the first two. <laughs> but how could he have done all of that in that time frame? And once they had found the first two, how could they get the message out to Mia about what they were going to put in the book? I think maybe they didn't write the whole book. I think, like, they were like, oh, here's the third book, but, like, it's still being written or something. I don't know. It's just... It was, like, parts of it I was kind of like, I don't really under... Or just timing-wise, even if even if you wrote it all from... Even if you had the plan from the beginning of the plan, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, like, some of it I the was... The timing like, was a little weird there. Yeah, I, I was totally like, agree. how does that work? Um, and also, like, uh, I think my other issue with this book, especially this last half, was there were so many false alarms in terms of people dying that at a certain point... I stopped caring. Well, especially because people can come back from the dead, which is always a complaint I have. I agree. If you try hard enough in this book, you can come back from the dead once. Yeah, and like when Mercurio like had the heart attack and you were like, oh my God, is he dead or not? And then, I mean, I, I just feel like there were a lot of false alarms and then there were mixed in with that, there were a lot of true deaths. So like when Scavia pushes Neve to her death and kills the butcher in front of Jonin. So it was hard for me to be like, it, it was hard for me to care about people dying because I was like, okay, well, chances are they're not dead, so let me keep reading for another 30 pages and maybe they'll come back. Or like, you realize Mercurio was faking his heart attack. And like, I think 
ruses like that are yep. cool, but if they start happening all the time, it's just like you stop caring when characters die. Well, and even to your point with book four, that was like a long period where a bunch of people died and then we found out it was all fake. Mm-hmm. I think it would have almost worked better if it was like a three-page thing about how they came in. It just like was so long, but and then to your point, you're like, oh, none of that actually happened. So right. like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then like, you kind of just had to watch it happen twice. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, and then Scavia dies, but doesn't really die, and then, yeah. Yeah, yeah and so it's just, at a certain point, it was, it just lost its effect for me. Because um, there were some really sad deaths, too. Like, the butcher, like, when he calls John and his son's name, and, like, oh, Eclipse, yeah. when poor Eclipse gets killed, like, th- those were sad moments, but because every single person was, like, dying slash not dying you didn't really have a chance to mourn them very well and that part even didn't bother me as much as it could have just because I sort of feel like that would be real again I felt like people will die in this scenario that we're talking about but yeah the mourning part wasn't there and I think what bothered me the most was like Jonan's response Mm. to it all not that I, I like that he was nine and he followed his dad and there was a little bit of him kind of like hesitating and questioning. But then at the end of the book, I was still really confused about his choices or like how he, because there was some reference. So sorry, I'm like totally jumping ahead. But Jonan is being defended by Mia's gang mm-hmm. of people. His dad comes, kills everyone who's guarding him, basically, mm-hmm. like you just mentioned, and takes Jonan with him. And Jonan ends up revealing a lot about Mia's plan to his dad, which, again, I sort I believe of that. believe that because yeah. it's his father and he's nine and, like, all this stuff. So that part I was kind of okay with. But then near the very end where I started getting confused when his dad is, like, losing it and being taken over by the god and his sister's there and they're, like, fighting, I felt like he was choosing Mia's side, but it was kind of confusing why or, or like, how and then he ultimately was the one who stabbed his dad (laughs) the nine-year-old stabbed someone yeah I I called that it wasn't exactly how I pictured it but because we didn't actually see him like make that choice or like what like I felt like for we didn't really get a look into his mind yeah and then even at I don't know something about that just felt like I was sort of like this is kind of what I wanted to happen and it felt believable before but I like didn't see that transition actually like sparked by it enough like was it just that his dad wasn't acting like his I don't know I just I wish we'd gotten a little bit more yeah, of that I, but I think that the, the, the author did a good job of like nine-year-olds cannot think logically you know so it was like you see your dad killed the butcher who you bonded with he kills Eclipse who you were really close with he's still your dad so you're like giving in to him and you know agreeing to do what he says and then you see your sister who is your true family and also has come back for you. And so then, like, the way it pieced together did make sense, I thought. Yeah. Well, I sort of just felt like I had to draw some of those conclusions myself. Like, Mia didn't say anything. Or, like, I mean, they were fighting, which I guess maybe he felt like everyone else was running away and he felt like he should get involved. So he picked a side. I don't know, but even just, like, that fight as a whole was confusing to me because they were, like, part God, part shadow part whatever and like jumping all over the place and it was very long-winded I think like I got a little bit um bored at the end because it just got very long-winded and it was confusing because they weren't just like it it wasn't just like a sword fight where you could picture where they were at all times it was yeah pure chaos (laughs) Mm mm-hmm which I mean that you know I'm I don't doubt it was like pure chaos but it was hard a little hard to follow and it was interesting, too, because we talked last week about how do you bring the the moon back together? How do you, like, reunite all the pieces of a god? Mm-hmm. And it was hard for me to kind of put together the fact that, like, Scavia went to the place where the, the god the fell. The destructive god right. parts. And, mm-hmm. like, we went to the god's grave and kind of gathered up the pieces there. And then... Mia went to Cleo and took her power. Which had been gathered from multiple Darkin over a long period of time. Yeah. So in the end, it was like both Scavia and Mia had parts of Aeneas in him. Yeah, but then to your point, I thought whoever killed the god 
or killed the dark and got all the god's power. So shouldn't yeah. Jonan have gotten a bunch of the power? Or did Mia technically kill him and he just like disabled him maybe? But then at a minimum, he still had part of a god inside him and there were probably other dark inner passengers out there. So again, what was enough of a god to put back together? I think Mia, I think Mia ended up killing him at the end cuz she like mm-hmm. he like Jonan just like sticks his little sword in him, but Mia like collides with him and like yeah, essentially like back t- they and... all become one, you know. Yeah. So I bought that. I just I don't know. It was a little bit confusing about like her going to Cleo and like getting her power and that being equal to what Scabia did. I mean, I didn't hate it, but I just, I agree. I was having a little... It was just a little fast. I was having trouble following it a little. Well, because, yes, we've been explaining some of the god folklore throughout, but she, like, had that conversation with the Mother Knight or whatever her name is. Oh, Nia, right. And she (laughs) was sort of like, convince me, but then we never heard Mother Knight convince her, and then I was getting confused because I thought when she killed Cleo that that was when she would die. So was that that she was given the chance to go fight Scavia? Or could she not die because Scavia had too much of the gods still in him? Like some of the math just I wasn't quite clear on. (laughs) Yeah, and the whole idea of like you have to die for the moon to live. I didn't understand like why. (laughs) Well, then ultimately she didn't or... Or I guess she did die, but she came back. I'm still confused by the ending, too. Yeah, I didn't... Okay, I was, too. Because, like, at the end, they say something about, like, Nia... Well, because in the the dream, Mia basically tells the goddess, you know, piss off because I want to live. I don't care about your plans. I've got my own. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But at the end, they say something like there was one last tithe to pay. Like, almost like the goddess owed Mia which she did so maybe it was just like you have when they say like you have to die in order to bring the god back maybe it was just kind of like a figurative thing because she technically did die but she came back yeah but then why didn't Scavia die and not come back yeah and also if she came back why didn't she see her brother and Mercur- like I get I'm glad that she had her like forever with Ash so were they not back in the real world were they back in some like separate world where it was just the two of them Or were they, like, part of me was like, because he said he grabbed her a piece of forever. So were they just, like, in their own world? I mean, that would make sense. Yeah, like, eternity together? Yeah, because they were talking about, like, we're going to live forever. Ash was like, I have immortality, but it's uh, it's being alone. And and then Mia showed up. So, I mean, that would make sense. Because I didn't like when Ash came back because I didn't understand why she did. Well, I was confused by that, too. And again, I think that's where, like, I guess I assume there'd be at least a conversation or something, or even a scene after Mia was dead where Ash and Jonan were both, like, acknowledging what happened. Or I, I don't know, because they were, like, the only two people there, but why were they... I mean, I guess she was helping... I don't know. It just... Yeah, there was, like, a missing piece for me. Yeah, I agree. And, like, I liked the fact that, like, once the god was reunited, like... Trick w- disappeared. Trick left because the mother only keeps what she needs. And I liked that idea. And then, like, Mer- He didn't disappear. He committed suicide, right? I thought he jumped into the abyss beside the mountain. Oh, yeah. Which he, was also he weird. He did, but I thought that was, like, by the hand of the goddess. Maybe not. Maybe he just was, like... Well, I thought the goddess couldn't bring someone back twice. So by ending his life... Oh. He knew he would stay dead. He couldn't come... Yeah, but even that was confusing because I didn't really get why he sent Mia off by herself Mm. and then killed himself. I thought he was going to, like, still help her somehow. But he wasn't needed anymore, I think, at that point. Like, he knew he he wasn't needed anymore. He knew that Mia was going to choose Ash and that she wouldn't love him. But Ash was dead at this point and Mia, like, kind of did need him. But did he he know that, though, that Ash was dead? Yeah, because he was there when she died. Oh, boy. (laughs) But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so here, I I guess maybe this is what how I convinced myself. I think maybe he killed him. I think he helped Ash get out. So maybe he killed himself so that he could bring Ash back for Mia. But that wasn't like quite clear. But that's kind of how what I ultimately convinced myself happened. Why he made that choice. I guess that would make sense. Yeah, but I don't know. Also, what did you think about at the end? Sid and Blade Singer get married. Good for them. I thought Sid was dead, and then he wasn't, so I was relieved about that. (laughs) 
And then is her brother becoming a new blood worker magic guy? Is that what that was about? See, that was confusing to me too because Jonan now has a piece of a living god in him instead of a dead god. But what does that mean? And I yeah. don't know what that means. No. Yeah, I don't know. But like up until the last 15 pages, it was really awesome in terms of how everything was fitting together. Yeah, it was exciting. It was twisty. It was turny. Um, Also, I was worried that we weren't going to get Cloud's name and I was a little bit disappointed. I was glad that we got his name, but I was a little bit disappointed that like it wasn't more of a thing. Wait, we did? Yeah, uh, Jonan just refers to him by name near the end. Let me try and find it. Oh, I totally missed that. Oh, yeah. Jonan tells Mercurio when they meet in the library, he says, a message arrived for us in Last Hope from Bonifazio. And Mar- Mer- Mercurio oh. goes, who? And he goes, Cloud. Corleone. And he goes, ah. So, but that, oh. but like, I'm like, how did he, re- did they guess it? Did he reveal it? Or maybe that wasn't even his real name. Maybe he's just mock, maybe he's, it's like a mocking thing. I don't know. Yeah, that, I was, that's fine. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. That's cute i just totally missed it <laughs> i just wanted there was so much going on i just love cloud so i wanted more of him in it i think <laughs> well i um researched pirates do you want me to tell you what i learned about pirates speaking of cloud yes please do yes so i thought it was really interesting how the pirates have a king and how they all have a code that they live by so i started researching pirate codes <laughs> perfect then i found some pretty interesting things Okay, so pirates had, essentially their code was articles that were unique to their ship. So like every pirate leader had um, ship's articles that governed everything from how the crew was to conduct themselves, how treasure would be divided up. They were like called articles of agreement. So they could be different per boat, but they were, but every boat had one or they were consistent across boats? No, they were not consistent across boats. They were the pirate who wrote them. The pirate king would draft these rules. And in order to serve on his crew, you had to agree to follow them. And they were, um, it was like they had authority basically that was like independent of any nation. But they were taken very seriously. So the pirate articles, even though they differed from one captain to another, and, and sometimes even like a pirate would have different articles written up based on what voyages he was going on there were commonalities between them so like there were often provisions for um how to discipline a sailor or a pirate who broke the rules or what would happen if a pirate got injured things like that so Mm -hmm. like you'd have to swear an oath to obey the articles and (laughs) they would swear on axes cross pistols swords human skulls or on a cannon sometimes. <laughs> Love it. Very pirate-like. <laughs> yeah. Not in a Bible. And then they had to follow these rules during the voyage. Um, and so <laughs> this was kind of cool. So I found a list of pirate articles that they had. Yes. That have like survived over the ages. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to read through some of these articles. This one was found. This was a partial code from Henry Morgan from a book, The Buccaneers of America, and this is just an example of some pirate's code. So it says, every man has a vote um, and has equal title to like all the food and liquor on board the ship. Um, some of them are just super funny. So no person can play cards or dice for money. Okay. The lights and candles are to be put out at eight o'clock at night. If any of the crew are still drinking, they have to do it on the open deck. (laughs) Um, You have to keep your sword, pistols, and cutlasses clean and fit for service. They're not allowed to have boys or women in their beds. And if any man is found seducing a woman, and if he's found that he carried her to sea disguised, he will be put to death. So, it's, again, it's funny to think about, because you think of pirates as, like, these rule breakers, and it's just funny to think about that they had these kind of strict rules, mm-hmm. but it also makes a lot of sense, because you're basically, you know, this is your only people around, it's kind of a dangerous situation if you think about, like, yeah. but this is hilarious. Um, okay, if you desert the ship, or if you desert during, like, if they're fighting a battle and you desert, mm-hmm. like, turn coward and run... You will be punished with death by marooning. 
and you will be, this reminded me so much of Pirates of the Caribbean, so they will be marooned with one bottle of powder, one bottle of water, one small arm, and shot. (laughs) So that's kind of hilarious. Can you imagine? No! I mean, some of these, some of these are like, so it says a man who strikes another while these articles are enforced, so if you like get into a fight, you will receive Moses' law, that is 40 stripes lacking one on the bare back, so like you'd be whipped like 39 times for fighting any man who fires his arms or smokes tobacco in the hold without a cap to his pipe or anyone who carries a candle lighted without a lanthorn i guess like if you have an open flame essentially you get the same punishment Mm -hmm. as fighting so 30 Mm lashes 39 lashes can you imagine fighting while holding an open flame (laughs) no that would probably (laughs) double the amount okay and this actually this one was very very interesting i really thought this was really really cool so have you heard of metalatage nope okay so this was very common among pirates who were in the caribbean beginning in the 1600s and essentially what metalatage is is um so if you think about it these pirates like most of them were men and they were on ships for like a long long time yes and so there was like definitely some situational homosexuality among pirates i'm sure Mm -hmm. a lot of it was like not just situational Mm -hmm. but it was so common that you know a lot of the men who formed partnerships were were really cared about their partners and wanted to see them provided for if something would happen to them Mm -hmm. so they issued this essentially it was a civil union and it was called metalatage and it was a union between two pirate men who formed this close relationship. And it was a means of companionship. It was a means of protection. It, it sometimes had a sexual nature to it. Um, but basically it meant that under this union, it was honored fiercely. And if a pirate died, his partner would essentially have access to everything he acquired during his life i love that so it was like a form of it was a form of like life insurance essentially to like ensure that their partner was taken care of that's so interesting and i love this yeah so it's called it's called matelotage and that's where they get the um the saying i matey like i matey matey oh. mate is like from that term interesting that is so that cool awesome? yeah i know i really really liked that um, and so, yeah, if pirates who had a, a civil union of metalatage, they inherited the other's property when one died, and it was it was something that captains would. It was like an uh, an honor thing that pirates pirate captains had to uphold, and they did. So, okay, just to stir the pot, what if the pirate had a wife back home, or were these separate things? Like you either had a wife or you had. One oh, of these? I don't know. I mean. Okay. I don't know. If you have a wife back home, does that mean you... I, I feel like that means you, like, give up piracy and you okay. move home and... So, if... These are all bachelors out of being pirates for the most so. part. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Um, but you know how pirates are also shown, like, wearing um, earrings or, like... Yeah. Like, one ear... One gold earring in their ear. Um, so, that was also, like, a form of life insurance. So, they would wear that because if something happened to them they could use that jewelry to buy a proper burial for themselves or to like provide for a mate or something like that Hmm. i don't know i really thought a lot of this was kind of cool and unexpected again it's just fascinating to me to think of like someone who you think like a group of people you think of as like kind of characterized as not having any rules but then they have this actual strict code and like really respected and like a sense I don't know even in Pirates of the Caribbean don't they talk about it a little bit like the yeah keep to the code yeah that are more just like guidelines <laughs> that's true yeah, I mean as much as they like probably still raped and plundered and pillaged their way around the world like among each other they had very strict rules which is also funny because in the book that it's a little bit like that too right like if you've Mm-hmm. joined a pirate crew then you're treated differently than if you haven't joined a pirate crew yeah exactly so yeah that was my pirate research that's awesome how about you 
So I looked into lunar folklore because a big part of this book is this idea of the god who's represented in the sun, multiple sons, three sons, who has four daughters and is married to the night and then she bears him a son that he didn't want. The sun is the moon who reflects back the light, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. We're trying to restore the sun. So... I was kind of interested in if this was based off of any other legend, but I think we've looked up lunar legends before, or maybe something, I don't know, some of this stuff sounded really familiar, so I also just kind of looked up fun facts about moons (laughs) or stories around the moon or whatever. It's all kind of vaguely related to the moon. Okay. So first of all, I think we maybe talked about this before, but the word lunatic comes from the Latin root luna which is for the moon because they used to think that people would exhibit like crazy behavior during full moon. Mm-hmm. So there have been some studies showing that there are more ER visits and accidents oh. during a full moon period, but there's not enough like conclusive evidence <laughs> to say there's a direct link between full moons and ex- like crazy behavior. That's funny. But Dr. Frank Brown of Northwestern University, who I went to Northwestern, go cats, um, He is an expert on animal behavior, I guess, and he has reported that hamsters spin in their wheels more aggressively during a full moon. (laughs) No. So that's a fun fact about how the full moon (laughs) impacts other animals, at least. And I guess um, some herbivores, such as deer, tend to ovulate during the full moon Mm -hmm. in the wild. And for the Great Barrier Reef off of the Australian coast, the full moon is mating time for coral. Interesting. So, okay. That was kind of so cool. So some people get frisky. Yeah. I also, I didn't realize, do you know what a lunar halo or a moon bow is? Mm-mm. Okay. I didn't know what this was either, but I guess it has something to do with the way light refracts around the moon and it looks essentially like a halo around the moon. And a lot of countries or folklore think that there's a bunch of, like, weather magic related to seeing this in terms of it'll bring rain or snow or some kind of storm or something like that. But it's essentially a rainbow at night, I guess. And it'll be seen in the part of the sky opposite of where the moon is visible. So I'm really curious what that actually means. I want to go, like, find one now. Or what it looks like, yeah. I'm sure I've seen one, but I... Like, yeah, didn't know or think about it or whatever. Can't yeah. visualize it. Yeah. Um. So let's see what else. So... The first time you see a crescent moon for the month, I'm sure you always take all of the spare coins out of your pocket and put them in your other pocket. What? Why? To ensure you have good luck for the next month, don't you, Marissa? (laughs) (laughs) First of all, who carries coins in their pockets? This might be an old um, tradition, but uh, there are a lot of people back in like the 1800s and stuff or like when they first started developing telescopes that were like convinced they saw aliens and buildings on the moon which probably isn't shocking but uh, it's just kind of funny to think about Hmm. uh in some native american legends the moon is held captive by a hostile tribe and there's a pair of antelope that are hoping to rescue the moon and take it to the village of the good tribe but coyote who is traditionally the trickster in a lot of these legends interferes and the antelope chase coyote but he tosses the moon into the river each night and that's why it stays out of reach of the antelope oh okay um but yeah there's a lot it's funny because there's a lot of myths or legends or stories about the moon and some kind of like divinity aspects like a god or a goddess and many of them do have some kind of relationship to the sun either their husband and wife or wife and husband uh, brother and sister father and son Mm -hmm. like there's just like almost every relationship you can imagine is like based there's some myth based on that um which is interesting and I, I this is what reminded me of it, I think. There's some stories where, like, the moon or the sun is chasing each other, and there's, like, like sexual assault involved in, in those stories and stuff, oh, no. which isn't great. But in general, the moon is also largely associated with fertility, so that a lot of gods mm-hmm. or goddesses of fertility are associated with the moon. And they think part of the reason for that is because, like, the a woman's cycle and the moon cycle are on similar time frames for the most part. Yeah. But... So then I was reading, I was thinking a little bit about how this myth played out and it like sort of explains how the moon and the sun 
why they don't hang out with each other and why they chase each other. And there's a lot of stuff about the the moon only came out at night because he was hiding from his father, the sun, or whatever it was. Or sometimes mm-hmm. the moon was the wife and she was playing with her kids, the stars, but the sun would eat the other stars. So oh, when she, like, no. waxes and wanes, it's either her hanging out with her current kids or mourning her the kids who are already eaten. <laughs> but then I was thinking about the waxing and waning part. And that's not really addressed at all in this book in terms of the legend or what, if the moon still waxes and wanes, and if so, what that means. So I actually, I didn't know, do you know how to tell when the moon is getting bigger versus when the moon is getting smaller besides just like looking at it night after night or something like that or Googling it? Like whether it's waxing or waning? Yep. Mm -mm. So is it about the direction yeah so if you're on the northern hemisphere remember doc d-o-c so when it's shaped like a d so that's curved on the right side like the light is on the right side and it's mm-hmm. getting darker from the left side towards the right um it is waxing so it's actually getting bigger mm. and then the o when it looks like a full moon that's full and then when it looks like a C, so when it's lighter on the left side than it is on the right side, it's waning. And it's oh, reversed if you're in the southern hemisphere. But I didn't know that, and I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. I There was a lot of, like, random legends and stories I could tell, but there weren't any that were, like, especially fascinating. Again, a lot – there's just, like, every relationship you could possibly imagine is explained <laughs> with these. And so, it is funny, though, because sometimes they're, like, lovers are trying to find each other, and it's, like, a really – like dusk and dawn are these like wonderful times where they get to actually see each other or spend time together they're dividing up the responsibility of providing light for the world or something like that and then the other half of the stories are yeah like they're chasing each other or they're hiding from each other or they're so it was just kind of interesting to think about how but like every culture in the world has some legend about the moon or the moon and the sun or whatever which isn't surprising but I did think it was funny at the end of this book how the (laughs) sun like came back and then the moon like literally poked out the sun's eyes (laughs) like (laughs) yeah to make it one sun again or whatever yeah Yeah. (laughs) I was just like okay (laughs) but even some of that stuff I'm still like kind of so I get that her her son came back and is fully powerful again so I guess he was just like defending his mom to give her half of the time back like I'm sort of like why didn't the daughters ask for some of the time or why didn't I don't know or like are the mom and dad friends again now that they're back in balance are they gonna like hang out at dawn and dusk they're still not gonna really hang out that close that's true that's true I don't know and then okay this is the other thing in some ways I'm glad because this wasn't what this book was about but in other ways I'm so curious because I mentioned that there would be a power vacuum if Scavia died and not only like Tons of things went wrong at the end. And I'm so curious what happened to the world. <laughs> we never find out. Because now all of a sudden it's dark half the time when it's been light for years at a time. And like their leader who united them all or whatever is dead. And just like it's got to be pure chaos. And we did get like a, a scene or a couple of scenes later where, but it seems like normal. Like, oh, should we go to this wedding? Should we like... I'm just practicing my magic. Like, I don't know. It just, like, seemed crazy to me that there wasn't more about, like... And who's our new leader? Yeah. But in some ways, again, we didn't think there was a good leader in our cast of characters, so maybe that's appropriate. It's just someone else took over. Yeah. Yeah, and it became... It wasn't so much about, like, who was going to rule. It was more just, like, we need to take down Scavia. Yeah. But even, like, from a god perspective, it's like, I guess they don't just don't care about people at all unless they can help them come back to life yeah sounds about right (laughs) i guess okay (laughs) never mind i get it (laughs) um so i talked about how i thought of a fan name last week i know Um, what is it bookworm yes so the other one i thought of was we could be passengers because we're like passengers along this journey of reading the book that's fair i don't hate that one either (laughs) but i just love bookworms because but as far as the book yeah. goes, I think Passengers is more appropriate. But as far as just, like, cool names, I think Bookworms is way cooler. Let's go with Bookworms, then. Okay. Yay! We also need to assign a rating for the book. For the series or the book? I forget how we do it. How series. many How many um, children of... Uh... Parts of the God? <laughs> yeah. Out of ten? Sure. 
Mm. This is so hard. I know. It's like almost impossible. I have like such mixed feelings about it still. I think I'm still sorting through it. I think I'm going to give it a seven. I was going to say seven too. Yeah. Okay. I think I would only recommend it to certain type. Like, I feel like you have to like a certain kind of book in order for me to recommend that you read this one. I agree. And also like, I love horror books. I love horror movies. I love dark and disturbing things, but it was just like at a certain point, it loses its shock value and becomes like mundane almost. And I don't like that. I didn't like that about this book. Well, I mean, half the people who die don't even have names, you know? We like just killed a hundred soldiers and we're like, whatever. Yeah. And again, this is where like the magic part came in a little bit. I don't know. But Again, there were things I loved about it, and there were things that I didn't love but really appreciated from just like a, oh, I see what you did there, Jay. Cool. Yeah. And then there were things that I thought were way too much or didn't feel added to the story. I agree. Uh, scene, you'd want to see it. Okay, we kind of talked about if it was a movie, but. Oh, we didn't really talk about Oh, but like we didn't talk about like what scene we'd want to see. Yeah, exactly. I... What would you want to see? Okay, we didn't really talk about this for any of the other books, but I would say. In the first book, I really want to see the Red Church and, like, just all the different training sessions and, like, meeting all the teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, in the second book, I want to see the all the gladiator fights. Um, I really want to see wanted to see the one where they fought the Silkling. And mm-hmm. in this book, um, the storms when they're at sea with, like, the Leviathan oh, yeah. and... There's a lot of stuff we didn't talk about in this book. I so know. we didn't talk about Mr. Kindly coming back. We didn't really talk about Ash's death. We didn't really, I mean, like, there was a lot going on. And again, I appreciated how a lot of it did connect, but. Okay, what about, what scenes would you want to see? Okay, so I definitely couldn't see all of the gladiator fights, but I think seeing the Silkling would have been really cool. Um, I also agree seeing the Red Church or, like, maybe one of their, um, yeah, the Red Church. Something with the Red Church would be cool. I think for the third book, I liked your answer with Storms, but I wouldn't have thought of that on my own. I think um, I would have said seeing the fight with Cleo, just because seeing all the different passengers, and it didn't feel super bloody and brutal. It seemed kind of more like... Shadowy? (laughs) I don't know. It it seemed kind of cool to me. Um, And to see like the skull there, like the giant god skull. Oh yeah, and when she like lets the light in finally, and the light like floods her, and she gets yeah, I think that could be a cool scene. I agree. But but yeah, I think seeing the world here would be really interesting. And honestly, even some of the other scenes, like where there were like parties and stuff, like minus all the fighting that went on, even some of the blood magic was kind of oh, creepy. Oh, yeah. But that was actually kind of cool what, that like... What Ad and I could do. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I could see it though because I don't do blood and all right. of that. But, <laughs> but it was kind of fascinating to think about. Anyways... I wanted to read this series for so long, and I'm glad I finally did. I'm glad I did, too. Yeah. And I would definitely read something else that Jay Kristoff wrote, for sure. I would read at least one more thing, and if it was this level of the stuff I didn't like, I would be done, even though I appreciate his style, other aspects of his style. But if I read something else that was completely different again, I would just be fascinated by him all the more. Yeah, agreed. Should we talk about our next book? Yeah. I'm really excited. I am too, so... I also... One last thing. This was a good trilogy. I think that as far as having three books, I think... And I think I mentioned pacing before, but I think they were each kind of separate and growing, but they were interesting enough on their own, too. It didn't feel like one was a middle book, or there was... Yeah. I don't know. I agree. I I like that. Okay, go on. Next series. Okay, so our next series is Sky in the Deep by Adrian Young. And this series consists of two works, so they're companion novels. The first one is called Sky in the Deep, and the second one is called The Girl the Sea Gave Back. Which, I just love both of those titles. Can I just Oh, they're great. Yeah. Um, So we're going to read, for next week, we're going to start Sky in the Deep, the first book, and we're going to read up to chapter 26. 26. Yep. Is it your turn to read the back? I don't remember. Do you want to go? I can do it. I have it pulled up. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so here's a little bit about our next series, Sky in the Deep. Raised to be a warrior, 17-year-old Aelin fights alongside her Aska clansmen in an ancient rivalry against the Riki clan. Her life is brutal but simple, fight and survive, until the day she sees the impossible on the battlefield. 
her brother fighting with the enemy, the brother she watched die five years ago. Faced with her brother's betrayal, she must survive the winter in the mountains with the Riki in a village where every neighbor is an enemy, every battle scar possibly one she delivered. But when the Riki village is raided by a ruthless clan thought to be a legend, Aelin is even more desperate to get back to her beloved family. She is given no choice but to trust Fisk, her brother's friend, who sees her as a threat. They must do the impossible, unite the clans to fight one another, or risk being slaughtered one by one. Driven by a love for her clan and her growing love for Fisk, Aelin must confront her own definition of loyalty and family while daring to put her faith in the people she spent her life hating. Hmm. This might also be bloody. Yeah, I think it involves Vikings, <laughs> just from the look of it, but hopefully not as <laughs> much as Nevernight. Okay, I love sibling relationships. So I'm very curious to see how her and her brother interact. I agree. And this is Adrian Young's first first book, yeah. first series. I think this yeah. is her debut. Mm-hmm. Cool, I can't wait. Cool, cool. Do you have a joke for me this week? I do. Okay. This is really stupid. <laughs> What's orange and sounds like a parrot? Um, a carrot. Yes. Did I get that right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, I never get your jokes right. Woo. Did you hear about the actor who fell through the floorboards? No. He was just going through a stage. <laughs> That's good. Why does the moon orbit the earth? I don't know. To get to the other side. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, All right. Well, if you guys have um, some thoughts you want to share on the Nevernight Chronicles, please get in touch with us. You can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. Or find us on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> or... Talk to Toby on Facebook or Instagram at MNKTalkYA. <laughs> Toby, he has some thoughts that he wants to share about this book. <laughs> he has a lot. He wants to get on Instagram. Let me so, know when his account starts. <laughs> I'm the worst. He has no thumbs and he would need me to help and I'm the worst <laughs> on Instagram. You'd be such an embarrassing mother. I would. Bye, bookworms. Aw, it's our fan name. I know. Does that mean we have to set, change our sign-off for every fan name we come up with now? Oh, gosh. No. That's too Oh, hard. we should have, but we won't. No, we can't do that. Bypass. <laughs> we never think of the We never think of the fan name until, like, That's true. two seconds before the last <laughs> chapter. <laughs> okay. Bye, bookworms. <laughs> Go get a library card. <laughs>